Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Cullamunda Church of Christ. Really praying this podcast blesses you. If you'd like to hear more of our story, how about you go to our webpage, cullamunda.church. Um, so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to kind of carry on where Kyla kind of finished last week. Well done, Kyla. What a great, great message. Did you guys get some great stuff out of that? You feel blessed that Kyla and Dave are in the house? I feel kind of blessed. They're a little bit quiet, but you know what? I can hear a resounding yes. <laughs> We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 6, and um, I'm going to try and, um, after that, give us a lead-in, as I normally do, into um, what we're going to be looking at. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be looking at that. Um, I'm going to read from verse 1. Let's see what Holy Scripture would say to us today. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope, Uh, For the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. This is God's word. Well, we're halfway through Paul's manifesto that we call the letter to the Ephesians. It's a story of God presented for all to see and for all to marvel at. And at the beginning of the story, at the very center of the story, we've been talking about, if you go back to the very first week, there is this word which is so incredible. It's a word that is the starting point and the centerpiece of this entire vision, this entire story that God is outworking. It's a word that actually resonates with every gender, with every culture, with every generation. It is the word family. Family. Do you like that word Family. No, 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 let's be honest. Some of us like bits of that word family, but there are other bits of that word family too. Isn't that right? But the word family is something that resonates with, with all of us. It resonates in every single generation as well. It doesn't matter what culture. That word family, it is a cornerstone word. And it is a cornerstone of God's marvelous vision that he's outworking even now is that word family. So Paul's actually already let us know that before the foundation of this world, knowing knowing the many, many broken and disordered things that would become obstructions and also knowing and being so aware of the ferocity of fallen principalities and powers that would try to stand in the way that even knowing all this, God still made a way. Aren't you glad he made a way? He made a way so that you and I can call him Father. That is an incredible thing, that God, knowing absolutely everything, He predetermined, He predestined, knowing every single thing that would be in the way, that would stand in the way, knowing every single thing that will come up against you, will come up against your family, come against this church, knowing absolutely everything, He still made a way through so that each and every one of us could know Him as Father. And we were saying that a Christian fundamentally is anyone who knows God as Father. That's what a Christian is. Anyone ask you, like, what exactly is a Christian? I can tell you exactly what a Christian is. I know God as my heavenly Father. Oh, you don't know him that way? No, you don't? So no one's told you the good news? Well, let me tell you the good news. It's, a, it's something that resonates. This is the good news. Paul's already let us know that we belong to God. Aren't you glad about that? 
I'm so glad I belong to God. We're no longer foreigners, but we're now citizens. We're no longer far away, but now we're near. We're family. We were his house. Or to even go further, Paul says that we are his holy temple. We are literally the meeting place between God and humanity. And one of the most profound things right now in this reality, as we stand in this generation right now, is that God no longer meets in special places. God meets in special people. Isn't that good to know? We get so preoccupied with buildings and cathedrals and things like that, and we don't understand sometimes that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are the meeting place of God. This right here is the intersection of heaven and earth, right here, right now. If you want to meet God, come on, let's do it. So good to know we are the meeting place. And God's accomplished all of this in Christ, which is so, so incredible. And he's done something so extraordinary that has literally broken the wall of hostility that had been in place between humanity. And part of what's happening right now is that Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, we are breaking apart walls that have already been broken. All right? These walls of hostility have already been broken. He says in Ephesians 2, verse 14 to 16, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations. Get this. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people. From two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. I mean, if we're going to put something to death, church, we need to put hostility towards each other to death. Because that's what he did on the cross. So what Christ did on the cross and our, our following Jesus Christ doesn't make you and I more Jewish or more Gentile-ish. What it does is that Christ has made a brand new people, new humanity, new creation. We call this group of people the church. Brand new. That's what he's saying. Brand new. I'm not more Jewish. I'm not more Gentile-ish. I am brand spanking. I mean, look at me. I am brand spanking you. I don't know some of you are thinking, dear Lord, you could have done a better job. But I'm a work in progress, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so good to know. As we've journeyed through this letter, I hope you've been able to pick up and recognize there's something that Paul is not doing, all right? This is something that we do and our tradition does, but something that Paul is not doing, he's not giving us a bunch of formulas. He's not doing that. That's not what he's doing. We do that, but he's not doing that. Ephesians is not this doctrinal treaty in a scholastic sense. What we have read so far, what we've heard so far, what we've been studying so far is a far-reaching drama. It is God's story. So what Paul is doing, he's portraying this powerful, reality-altering, cosmos-transforming act of God in Christ to redeem God's world and save God's people for the glory of his name. Timothy Gombus, a brilliant scholar. If you ever listen to him, read his stuff, do it. He's fantastic. Um, I've been able to stumble across him in, in my study, and I'm so glad I have. But in his um, book, The Drama of, of Ephesians, he says this. Ephesians, then, is a drama portraying the victory of God in Christ over the dark powers that rule this present evil age. And the letter becomes a script for how God's people can continue by the power of the Spirit to perform the drama called the triumph of God in Christ. 
That is precisely what Paul is doing. He's outlining the story. He's saying there is a drama in play. There's a story of God in play. And our job is not just to know it, not just to hear it, not just to listen to it, but now we are to participate it and continue this drama, which is the triumph of God through Christ. That's what the church is supposed to be doing right now. I don't know about you, that gets me excited. That puts purpose in my life. That puts purpose on this church. That we are supposed to be involved in this story to such an extent that what Christ started at the cross, we get to continue right here in 2020. Does that excite anyone else? Or do you want to be a lazy Christian sitting on your, your green chairs? Saying, oh. No, 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 no. we got work to do. we got new life to live in. <laughs> and in this drama, uh, 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 before he's kind of telling us how we play our role, we're going to get to this. Paul's actually unfolding this, this drama, this entire story before us. And he's already started before the foundation of this world. And he lets us know what's going to happen when heaven and earth are brought together under unity in Christ. And he's also let us know something really important for us to know. That there are actual characters in play in this story that we do not see. And sometimes we get tripped up as churches because all stuff of uh, crazy things happen in a church or think crazy things happen in a family. And we don't understand that behind that crazy stuff, there are actually other characters that are actually manipulating. And if we're not aware of these unseen characters, we're going to be tripped up and we will not know exactly how we are to live. But Paul already, as we've gone through this, he has emphatically let us know that these characters are principalities and powers that are in the heavenly places. And we as modern minds, we don't want to even acknowledge that, but you know what? We all know that they exist. But Paul's already let us know that Jesus has been triumphed over all of these principalities and powers. And these powers, they actually have an agenda. They actually have uh, something which they have in their mind. They are blatantly wanting to dehumanize humanity. They are blinding people. What they are doing, they are perverting creation so that human life is characterized by greed, in inordinate sensual lust, the overpowering selfish ambitions, which leads to self-destructive exploitation, manipulation, and injustice. Is that not what we see in the world? Paul's letting us know that what you're seeing in the world, that's real, but there is something behind that that is causing that. There is an agenda in play by the principalities and powers in this world. But there's something that these powers don't want the church to know. And Paul's articulated this, and even more um, succinctly in, second, in, in Colossians, he actually does this. He actually lets us know that these powers, they've actually been disarmed. They've been disarmed. So if the glory of God is a human being fully alive, these rulers and authorities are working hard to ensure that that does not happen. Their big problem is, however, they've been disarmed, and the big hope is that the church never figures that out. Because as soon as you figure that out, guess what? It is game over. That's why they don't want you to figure it out. And the church needs to figure that out. Because it is the church who plays this vital cosmic role in this unfolding drama. Understand it's the church. It's not personalities, not celebrities, not politicians. It's the church. One of our problems is being, we say we have this high elevation of Jesus and a low view of the church. But you need to understand and recognize that if you have, or if you say, you have a high view of Jesus and a low view of the church, you've actually got a low view of Jesus. And we need to fix that. And what happens, because we have such a low view of the church, we start elevating roles within the church, then suddenly all these preachers want to become celebrity preachers. Have you noticed on social media how many people photobomb Jesus? Like seriously, just between you and me. 
Is that not true? Like, man, you were on fire. Are you serious? I mean, you didn't die on the cross. Is that not true? My job, I'm just a waiter. Do you know what? That's what a preacher is. I'm not in the kitchen. My job's to make sure the food gets to you hot. That's it. And as soon as I deliver it, but I'm not the one cooking anything. I'm just the delivery one. My job, my sole responsibility is to make sure it comes to you hot. That's it. We want to photobomb Jesus all the time because we have a low view of the church and the calling of the church. And we need to fix that. Please do not have a disdain for your church because the Holy Spirit, he will come and he will correct that very, very swiftly. Very, very swiftly. Ephesians 3 verse 10 to 11, which is the key verse in Ephesians, says this. God's purpose in all this was to use the church. Funny that. To use the church. To display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the picture that Christ is actually, God is actually using the church to actually be a contrast and also be a mockery to what the principalities and powers are trying to do. What are they trying to do? They're trying to dehumanize people. They're trapping people. They're having people entangled. And this is kind of the picture. This is what I kind of see. I kind of see this apocalyptic movie. It's almost like if you've seen any of the Batman movies and you look at Gotham City. You remember like looking at Gotham City, how it's like dark and it's kind of grey and, and everyone's just down and mopey. And just picture that kind of scenario and these principalities are trying to keep everything grey and everyone trapped and everyone's like miserable and they're walking around like this. And then all of a sudden, you actually see the camera kind of come out a little bit and you see these pops of colour there, pop of colour there, pop of colour there, pop of colour there. And you think to yourself, wow, what is going on? In this grey world, there's a pop of colour, there's a pop of colour there. My goodness, what is that? And then the camera actually zooms in on one of these little places of colour and you actually see these people and they're dancing and they're celebrating and they're rejoicing and they're in complete freedom. And you think, what in the world is going on? Who are these people? They are the church. Our church is composed to, it's supposed to be a complete contrast that while these principalities and powers are looking to dehumanize people and trap people, we are completely free. As this world is grey, we are rejoicing. Amen? Are you rejoicing? You should be rejoicing. Otherwise, you need to give your life to Jesus. Amen? Hey, I don't mind if I step on your toes. This is who we are. And not only that, our life as a church should be an absolute mockery to them. Because they can try their hardest to enslave us and they can't touch me. I'm still going to praise God. I'm still going to rejoice. I'm still going to tell people about that's who we are. Anyway. And knowing that God, I'm still doing like a lead up to this, by the way. And still knowing, Paul knowing that God uses the, the church in this significant way. And understand this is not just a, he's not using the, the church on like on a Kalamunda level or even a Perth level. This is God's purpose to use the church on a cosmic level. This is a significant role that we simply do not understand. Knowing, knowing, knowing that God's purpose is to use the church, he prays for two significant things. Two significant things. He prays that we will be strengthened in our inner being. I think it's interesting the way that God uses his resurrection power. 
The way I want to use power and the way this world uses power, you'd almost think people want to use power so that they can climb their ladder. People want to use power so they can dominate. Humanity wants to use power so we can actually join with the principalities and powers in heavenly places to actually do what they're currently doing. But God uses his power in a different way. He uses his power to strengthen us in our inner being for a reason, so that Christ will come and dwell and take up residence in our heart. Isn't that good? We want to pray for things on the outside. Paul's praying for things on the inside. We want to pray for our circumstances to change. Paul's saying, I'm going to pray for your inner being to be strengthened so that you can remain faithful to Christ no matter what the circumstances are. But in doing for that strengthening, this is what's going to happen. Christ will come and he's going to take up residence in your heart. I pray that God may strengthen you with power in your inner being so that this, through the Spirit so that Christ may take up residence within you and mark you. That there would be no mistake about it. There will be no doubt. God's fingerprints, Jesus' fingerprints would literally be all over you and everyone will see. Yet, he's marked, he's established, she's marked, she's established, she belongs to God. He belongs to God. And praise for another thing that we would understand, power to understand something. Get this, power to understand something that we will never be able to fully comprehend. The love of God. The love of God. I think it's interesting how he prays for this. He's not praying that we would love God more. No, 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 no. He's saying that we would understand something that's already in play. That we would understand the love of God. To understand the love of God. And we don't fully comprehend it because it's kind of so, I mean, how can you understand this? The love of God. This love of God. Ephesians 1 verse 4, he lets us know that this love of God has such a deep root system. It's rooted as far as before the foundation of the world. Our problem is we think that God's love has shallow roots. You ever been in your garden and you see a weed and you sort of like just pop it up? Or you see a plant, you sort of pop it up. It's because it's got a shallow root system. One of our problems is that we live in a world where we've been hurt by people. People have said, you know what, I love you, I'm with you, I'm never going to leave you. And they're gone. Our experience of love is a shallow root system. And then we think that God's love for us is exactly the same, but Paul's letting us know that God's love is rooted all the way back in eternity past. How are you going to pull that out? The slightest tug we think will pull out God's love. The slightest sin, or even a severe sin. No, no, no. This is something that we're never going to be able to comprehend. I mean, how can you comprehend something that's wider than wide? How can you comprehend something that's longer than long? Something that's higher than high, something that's deeper than deep. This is nuts. So he prays that even though we're never going to be able to understand this love, he prays that we would experience it. So every single day, your call and my call is to experience something that we're never going to understand. And the way you're going to experience that, by the way, he says, is through community and family. There are no lone rangers in the church. God simply does not allow lone rangers. Isn't that incredible? But again, the purpose of actually experiencing the love of God, there's actually a reason why. There's actually a reason why. Verse 19, may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. It is experiencing the love of God, this love that we're never going to be able to understand it's experiencing this love that actually grows you up. Have you ever met like a really stunted Christian? 
I think it was interesting, I was saying to the church last week, in every single other arena in life, if we actually see that something is stunted in growth, we take immediate action and we, our attention is immediately drawn to that, isn't it? Everywhere except the church. <laughs> Everywhere except the church. We think, oh, it's okay, you've been walking with the Lord for 10 years? Really? You still got that attitude? You're still walking like that? You still got that? Be like, seriously. There is a stuntedness in the church today. And the only remedy for immaturity is to experience the love of God. That's why Paul prays that you will have power to understand this love, even though you're not going to fully understand it. But even though you're not going to even fully understand it, may you experience it and then you're going to grow up. Anyone want to grow up? It's going to take a lot of love. Every parent knows this, don't we? I've got little ones. I want them to mature. Every parent knows this. The way that kids mature is by a lavish generosity of disciplined love. You know? And you, Spring, we've got a whole bunch. You're a, foster, you're a foster dad, right? Mitchell's a foster. Look at him. He's a foster dad. We've got lots of foster parents. Why are children placed in the care of foster parents? Because there's been an absence of love. How do you grow Christians? Well, there needs to be a church where there is lavish, generous outpouring of unprecedented love, 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 and then we grow up and we mature. Anyway, it's been a good letter so far, hasn't it? It's taught us a lot of things, taught us a lot of things. And all of this brings us to the turning point of this letter that we're going to take a little bit of time to look at today. And it's not going to take too long because it pretty much does read itself. It's a turning point of this letter, um, the beginning of chapter 4. Another possible way of looking at it is we're about to hit Paul's exhortation to the church. Or another way to think about it, this is the topic sentence for the entire letter. He has said everything to say this. For three chapters, he's painted this high-definition, most electric, visionary, elevated retelling and telling of the story of God. He's gone through who God is, what he's like, what he's done, what he's doing, what his, where history is heading, the role of the church. And right now before us, as we're going to head into chapter 4, there is an opening of a grand prized door through which you and I are to walk in order to join God and play our part, our role in his story as his new humanity. In other words, Paul has said everything in order to say this one thing. Ephesians 4 verse 1. Do you want to know the one thing he wants to tell you? You want to know? Like, I kind of think, I, I, I've got the personality type, right, of like, Paul, why didn't you say this in the first place? Why, have you wasted my time up until this point? Imagine taking all this time to say one thing. And from this one thing, everything else is outworked. This is the one exhortation that Paul has for the church. And again, this is his manifesto. This is Paul saying what is most important, most significant. Ephesians 4 verse 1, this is it. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. He said everything so far in order to say that. I'm begging you. I plead with you to live a life worthy of the calling because you've been called by God. 
Why didn't you say that in the first place, Paul? Well, the reason why I didn't say that in the first place, because if he did, there is no way that you and I would have felt the weight and the excitement and the honour of living a life worthy of this incredible call to be part of this family, to be part of the church, to understand that the church is playing this vital role, that the church is not a small thing, the church is a huge thing, to be part of the church. If we started off with that, I would not have any weight at all whatsoever. I would kind of think, you know what, I don't like the church, the church hurt me, the church doesn't listen to me, blah, 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 blah. If I hadn't gone through this entire thing, I would have no idea of how significant this calling is that I'm actually engrafted into a story and I'm not just playing a story and I'm not playing a role in a story that has a suburban kind of like, like sort of feel. No, no, no. The part I'm playing, there is a cosmic thing in play. Cosmic. Something that is extraordinary like that. I love being part of the church. I love being part of the church. For the next three chapters, we're going to be told how our lives are shaped as this new humanity how we should respond to the good news and continue God's grand visionary story for creation. We're drawn into the story not just as people whom God has acted, but also knowing that we now play a vital role in this drama. And we're about to discover in detail what it means to exist for the praise of his glory, as Paul articulated in, in chapter 1, and how we might walk in the good works he's prepared for us to walk in, as Paul's talked about in Ephesians 2. And Paul's big exhortation for us is this, and everything else cascades from it. So we're going to pull out a couple of things. First one is this. God is the caller, and we have been called. Therefore, I, a prisoner, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. For you have been called by God. My life, as Dave Ryder, senior pastor, of Kalamunda Church of Christ, my life is not to be lived according to my own personal sovereignty, but actually under the sovereignty of God. That's harder than what it appears, you know what I'm saying? Mark Laberton, he comments on this. He says, God's primary call is for us to belong to and live for the flourishing of God's purposes in the world. And we've already learned about some of God's purposes, haven't we? Paul's brilliantly outlined God's plans, his purposes. Again, Ephesians 3 verse 10, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom and his rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Understand this. Let me, let me just say something which I need to be reminded of time and time again. All right, And if it helps you, that's good. I just want you to know this is something I need to be reminded of every single day. God's purpose was for him to use the church, not for me to use the church. God's purpose was that he would use the church, not that you'd use the church. It is a very human thing to get that mixed up. Has anyone ever got that mixed up? You're all very quiet. I know you have. (laughs) Honestly, who hasn't got that mixed up? It's very, very human to get that mixed up. Whenever I use something, I use it for my purpose. You know, last night I had to go to the kitchen and get a knife. The reason why I wanted to get a knife so I can cut my steak. I had to go and use something for my purpose. This morning I went and got my keys, got into a car, 
and I got my car, and I drove here. I used the car for my purpose. See, it's actually a mindset shift. Whenever we have in our mind that I want to use something, we need to understand that by definition, when you say I'm going to use something, you're using it for your purpose. And right off the bat, like Paul's saying, oh, this, this, this is a foundational thing which is going to be very, very difficult. And as he goes through this other stuff, we're going to see why, because we're all human. But, but God's purpose was that he would use the church, not that we would use the church. In fact, if anything else, we should be saying, you know, we should have a big smile on our face and say, you know what, today I just got used. Why don't you say that? Turn to someone and say, I got used today. I, I just got used. Doesn't sound good, does it? I got used. But you know what? That's the whole point, that God would use us. I just got used. Really? Oh, that's so terrible. No, you don't understand. That's the whole point. For God to use my life. For God to use this church. To unfold his plan and his purpose. It's a mindset change, you see. It's a mindset change. I mean, what would happen if we actually outworked that, that purposes of God in line of God's plan? We've already found out straight off the bat, Ephesians 1 verse 10, that God's plan is that he is bringing all of creation, the heavenlies and everything on heaven and earth, to a place where everything is going to come into unity under Christ. He is bringing order and function back. He is creating a brand new humanity. He is actually bringing new creation into being. That's his plan. We already know this. So what does it mean to live a life worthy of the calling? Well, to know we've been called, but I think it's interesting that before he goes on to marriage, before he goes on to workplace, before he goes on to sexuality and all his other stuff, he actually talks about one thing that we all find extremely, extremely hard. His big exhortation of the letter is to live a life worthy of the call, for you've been called. And the very first place that this is outworked is found in Ephesians 4, verse 3. Read this. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. You do any um, survey of church history and you'll find out very, very fast that the story of the church is not a glorious tale of unity. Rather, we see people of God all the time, dividing over various matters of faith, practice, and expression. Happens between members, happens between churches, happens between denominations and movements. And the letter of Ephesians is actually a letter about unity. Unity. In fact, as you read a lot of the, um, Paul's letters, he's actually addressing issues of unity. Um, one of the big blow-ups happens in, in the book of Galatians and you have this situation where you've got Paul and Peter having a confrontation in front of absolutely everyone. The issue at stake is unity, division. What does it mean to be true one humanity, true humanity? Every church struggles with unity and this church is no exception, just so you know. I don't want anyone to be blinded here today. And I would go into any single church on the face of this earth and I would say the same thing, that every church struggles with unity and this church is no exception. This is how this paragraph works, okay? Let me just, before we pull out just a few things, and don't worry, I'm not going to take too much of your time. This is how this paragraph works. As I've said, Paul has said everything in the first three chapters of this letter so far. He's saying, I've said all of this in order to say this one thing. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. 
And the very first way that this exhortation is outworked is make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And this is no easy task, is it? Because we're family. And like I said before, there's good things about family and there's also terrible things about family, isn't it? There is no exception when it comes to the family of God. You might be sitting in this room and there'll be someone over your shoulder and you think, you know what, I simply do not like that person. No, you wouldn't say that now. <laughs> Maybe in the car road home. But, but it's, it's no easy task. It's no easy task. The, 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 this letter is actually saying not just to be holy and not just to be united, but actually to be holy and united. Being family is hard, hard work. So in light of this, Paul's actually letting us know you're going to need some things in order to keep unity. And that's what he says in verse 2. He says, always be humble and gentle. That's what you're going to need. You're going to need humility to be united. You're going to need to be gentle to be united. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. Oh, my goodness. Do you know what that presupposes? That other people are going to make faults. You guys are very quiet today. I don't know if I... <laughs> and get this, because of your love. Because of your love. So now it kind of makes sense that Paul's praying at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. He's praying for something that we're never going to understand, but we would experience every single day, the love of God. Because he's actually saying that if you experience the love of God, you're actually going to mature. And the mark of maturity is unity. Isn't it interesting that the very first thing off the bat with his, with his actual exhortation of this entire letter is not like how much you read your Bible or how you pray or like, like are you feeding the poor? They're all important things. The very first thing that he tackles is unity in the church. Because your mark of maturity is unity. You can either say, oh my, or out. I don't care. Either way, they're probably both. <laughs> and just in case, just in case, you and I think that this exhortation, this, this outworking of unity is not that big a deal, Paul says you need to take this really, really seriously. And the way he says that is by giving theological grounding as to why the church must guard unity. Verses 3 to 6, Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body, that's the church, there's one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope in the future, there is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism, there is one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. He's letting you know you better take this really, really seriously because there is theological grounding to this mark of unity that needs to be guarded in the church. I mean, up until this point, Paul, this has been an awesome story. This has been amazing. This, is, this has been so easy to preach, Paul. But now you're really drilling down. Now you're really getting down to the, the, like the real stuff. A couple of things from this. When Paul says, make every effort, Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep yourself. Understand, it's an exhortation to keep united in the Spirit. And I notice that, that like, make every effort to keep. Notice, that, notice this, really, really notice this, okay? The responsibility for this is placed on the individual. It is not my responsibility to keep unity of the Spirit in the church as your pastor. It is your responsibility. Now, 
I say this as well, because it's your responsibility, it's also my responsibility, because individually I still need to do it as well. Okay? Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. And also understand, when he says to make every effort, that's actually a really, um, oh, I don't know how to say it. Well, other ways of translating it would say this. It's, if you were to translate it from the, the original language, we would use words like to hurry or to hasten, or to be zealous or to be eager for. Paul's actually saying that unity is not something to be taken for granted, but something that we should be seeking after really, really eagerly. I mean, have you ever watched someone chase something or go after something in a, in a hastened way? You know, earlier this year, we saw a lot of that stuff. Um, I never thought I'd see the day in Australia, but I remember um, Andrea and myself and the kids getting the kids before school, picking them up, going to the shops. And what we did is that Andrea went to Coles and I went to Woolworths because Woolworths and Aldi were right over there because we needed to run as soon as those doors opened, right? We needed to run. We didn't understand. We were there about half an hour before the shops opened and there were already lines. But as soon as those doors opened, we ran to get some toilet paper. We were hastening. You know what I'm saying? We were eager. We were zealous. There is something of an attitudinal thing that requires energy. Paul's saying, don't take this lightly. When it comes to unity, you need to hasten after it. And also understand that, that we are not the ones who forge unity. He says it's unity of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has already brought unity. Our job is to guard it. We don't need to create unity. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. And by nature, the church is united because it's the Holy Spirit who's formed the church. We are new, now a new creation. We are a new humanity. The Holy Spirit has done that. There is already unity in the church. Our job is to guard it, not to create it. We're not forging it. We are to guard it. And not just guard it, eagerly guard it. To make every effort to guard it, to protect it to protect them. Unity in the church. Unity in the church. Because there's only one church. Just like there's only one spirit. Just like there's only one baptism. Just like there's only one God. There's only one church. You can't have the vision and think, oh, there's two churches there. No, there's only one. That's why this is important. That's our first responsibility that comes living out this life worthy of the calling. How can this look like? What, what can this possibly look like? I think social media has changed the landscape of so much and it's allowed us to peer into the lives of other people. It's allowed me to see things which I would not have ordinarily seen. What I've been able to see over the last two years is something which I hadn't seen previously. I have an elder. There's a beautiful man called Trevor Wise. I look forward to you meeting him. He's 78. 78. And um, <clears throat> I didn't know, he didn't really tell me this, but social media showed me this. He has Facebook. He doesn't know how to use it, but he's got it. Right. But because he has Facebook, he gets tagged. Or should I say, actually, his horse gets tagged. His horse is Larry. And over the last two years, I've been seeing these pictures of people in our church going and hanging out with Trevor and Larry. And they are not the sort of people I thought I'd see. Trevor does have a lot to do with our seniors. 
He's one of our elders, has a lot to our seniors. It's our young adults. You're one of them. <laughs> Chev's awesome. I see these pictures of my worship director, my worship leaders, young adults, hanging out at Trevor's house with Larry, with Larry. Another one of my elders, Aaron, who um, is one of the leaders with our worship team, we had an interesting conversation with um, Trevor, um, must have been about two years ago or so, and we were talking about the music in the church because what has been a little bit odd to me is that like, we've been on this journey at New Spring Church and um, we've got every single demographic coming. In fact, I've got more seniors now in our church than I previously have had. There's actually more. And I was intrigued with this. I said, Trev, what is the deal? Like, I understand the young families are coming. I understand the young adults are growing. I understand, like, youth are over there. But, like, seniors, like, like, like I said to Trevor, like, I said, Trevor, how do you handle the music in our church? And Aaron was there. He gave us the most mischievous smile. You know what he said? I turn off my hearing aids. <laughs> But he said to me, he said, like, he says, I want to make sure that I'm in the life of the younger generation. I remember rocking up the church one day and I saw um, him and, and, and Jess, like Jess Murray, sitting in front. And like they were sitting there and they were talking. And I'm like, you got this 78-year-old in this like mid-20s. Make every effort. Make every effort. How do you do that? Well, verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowances for each other's faults because of your love. The reconciliation of all things, Ephesians 1 verse 10. The reconciliation of all things in the future is foreshadowed in the reconciliation of believers in the present. Demonstrating in the cosmos to the principalities and the powers, the purposes of God, the vision of God, this grand glorious vision of family, letting the heavenly principalities and powers, letting them know you can try your hardest but you're not going to divide us. We are going to make every single effort to remain and to guard the unity that has already been forged by the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? That's how this paragraph works. And it's the very first thing that Paul says, in order to live a life worthy of this calling, you need to protect unity.